Hey, this is Kate, and welcome to Two Pastors Take a Walk and Make a Podcast. This is Yolando, and as always, we're talking about what is a... (laughs) No, but we're not. This is a very special episode of Two Pastors Take a Walk and Make a Podcast. We are not doing the same thing today. Like, which I don't think we did last time either. We did. um, No one knows. Anyway. That was the time before. But we, it's sort of like when um, you watched your favorite sitcoms in the 80s and remember every now and again, they would be like, this is a very special episode of Growing Pains. You might want to have your parents watch with you. That's good. I feel like this is kind of a, um, this is a special episode of um, the podcast, honestly, because we took a walk and we were talking about this thing the whole time that we were walking. Mm -hmm. And then we came in to record and we both were like, well, we're not talking about that on the podcast. And then we were sitting down getting ready and and we were still talking about it. And we were like, well, this is lame. Why do we have a podcast, particularly a podcast where we want to talk about the intersection of being um, ministers of the gospel and being deeply committed to creating multi-ethnic communities and, mm-hmm. and spaces where authentic and holy um, relationships can happen across the divide of race, where that can be transcended um, by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I, you know, and I just want to say, I mean, I don't say that lightly, right? I mean, I think to claim, given the history and the reality of America, that in the cross of Jesus Christ, there's a grace that allows white and black Americans and white and Native Americans and white and Asian Americans, that, that there is a way um, to have a holy and redemptive relationship is a, is a radical statement, right? Yes, like, it is totally radical. Right, it's it is the, the hope. hope. And I don't say that, you know, I think sometimes people hear it and say like, oh, you say that as if all of the realities aren't the realities or as if they don't matter. And I'm saying, no, no, no. Like every, everything, um, every drop of blood that has been shed by the power and principality of white supremacy in this nation, it's literally unimaginable, uncalculable, unseen. The history is unwritten and unacknowledged. And the lie about that history, you know, we're arguing about... (laughs) whether or not we're going to keep erecting statues to the lie that those who fought for white supremacy were genteel gentlemen who just wanted you know states rights i mean i good people on both sides correct i mean i it's i i cannot i who am famously loquacious cannot even begin to articulate how deep and deadly and powerful the sin of racism and white supremacy have been in this nation. And, you know, we we are so eager as Americans to talk about concent- about the concentration camps in Nazi Germany. And, you know, it is a horror that cannot be contemplated. That, that lasted for four, four years, five years, I don't know how long. But, I, I, you know, we don't even, we don't even want to touch what happened in, or acknowledge what happened to Native Americans in this country, which was just as brutal and just as systematic as the concentration camps were, and we don't even 
name it. We don't even see it, not to mention, you know, slavery, which, which I mean, we ought to see every single one of those plantation houses as concentration camps because that's what they were, and it lasted for generations, and we fought a war for it. And Jim Crow, when people could be terrorized and lynched at will, I mean, I... I it's a little too close to home for a lot of people. I mean, it just... I, the, the shame and guilt and... it's, it's, it's so hard, um, to, to face it, knowing that even as you face it, you're only facing a a shadow of the reality of it. Right. So, I mean, I don't, I'm not down with grumpy uncle Calvin very often, but when I look at American history, I have no problem signing on for the total depravity of humanity and just humans ability in this case, white humans abilities to just be self-delusional and say at the same time that you are carrying out the extermination and genocides of whole nations that you are also proclaiming that you're the city on the hill and you're the light to the world and the new Jerusalem because you just literally don't even see it. So when I say that I think that in the cross of Jesus Christ there is hope for healing and redemptive relationships, I recognize that that is a scandalous, offensive thing to say. And yet that's Yet true, and that's how I read the, the gospel, and that's yes. the good news, right? Yes. Like, if the gospel can't transform and offer healing in this, then what I'm saying is that white supremacy, that evil, is more powerful than yes. the cross of Jesus Christ. And because I don't we believe proclaim that, that Jesus, right. in His death and resurrection, conquered sin and death and all the powers and principalities of the enemy, right? And and when people and often white evangelical Christians try to kind of sweep all that away and say, you know, it doesn't really matter, or it wasn't really true, or it wasn't really that bad, or some slave owners weren't that bad. Oh my gosh, you try to do that. I'm like, you know, you 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 are you are undercutting the cross if you mm. think that in order for the cross to be a redemptive in this situation, that you have to say it really wasn't that bad. No, it really was that bad. In fact, it wasn't is worse. And yet we're proclaiming the scandal of the gospel, which is that God, who was innocent and holy and good, shed his blood for the redeeming of enemies, for torturers, for murderers, for... Anyway, so that <laughs> that is the premise of, of, of why I feel so called to do this work, because I do believe that racism is America's original and persistence in so <laughs> so the context of this particular conversation we haven't even started to talk about the thing that we're talking about is um, an article an article that was written by um someone i know and someone that you know of and are connected um a man named samuel sun who is the m- manager or director, director of diversity and reconciliation in the Presbyterian Church USA, because um, that's his job title, and he works for the denomination in the denominational headquarters, the Presbyterian Center in Louisville. And um, I know him a little bit like him. He was visiting the city. He was visiting Charlotte a couple weeks ago and, and worshiped with the Grove and sat down um, for a conversation with some of our church leaders. And then two weeks ago, I was in Louisville at a um, roundtable that he had convened of um, folks in the denomination who were leading or trying to lead intercultural congregations. So I don't know him super well, but don't have any problem, you know, 
believing and, and, and acknowledging his sincere commitment to Jesus Christ and his sincere heart for the work and extending the white right hand of fellowship to him. Um, and he wrote an article, why don't you, you describe it, that we both read. Well, his article um, was entitled, I Am a Racist, and that was the first line of the article. And basically, he is unpacking, describing, confessing, and we should say, witness to. He's a Korean-American He's man. a Korean-American. Second American. generation Korean-American yes, yes, thank you for that. And he is confessing mm-hmm. his own racism. Um, and he, for example, he... Um, for me, it was a, um, a moving story about how his mom, whenever his mom um, is uh, shopping and she speaks uh, her broken English, that something in him uh, cringes and he recognizes that as, as, as racism um, that he has to deal with. So the article is really his confession that he is not above beyond uh, the sin of racism and that... Um, one way to um, deal with, uh, confront racism is to begin with confession. Right, and he, he uses a couple of um, sort of metaphors and examples that, that I found really compelling. I'll start with the lesser one first. Um, he, he talks about, you know, in a key point in Alcoholics Anonymous is that, that you begin one. every meeting by saying, I'm an alcoholic and I'm in recovery. And what I'm doing is recognizing the power that alcohol has over my life and acknowledging and recognizing, I mean, literally that I'm powerless, that I that I need the help of my higher power, that I have to take this day by day, that I have to be accountable to a community, that I have to make amends for the wrong that I've done to people under um, the influence of alcohol. I can't just use it as an excuse and say, hey, I'm an alcoholic, so whatever I do doesn't matter. It's not my fault, right? Anyway, so he... And he says once you once you start with that kind of confession, then you no longer have to um, try to protect yourself from the truth, mm-hmm. right? So if you start with the confession that I am a racist, then you are open, you are free to enter a space where you might... Um, you might say something that's racist uh, and someone call you out and you're like, oh, yes, thank you for calling me out because I know myself to, uh, to to wrestle with this issue. Right. And so so he was saying, um, talking about a meeting that he had been in with a um, with a bunch of interfaith leaders or I don't know, a bunch of leaders in the Presbyterian Church USA and one man in the meeting who happens to be white, who had led a congregation that was historically white into becoming a multi-ethnic church. Um, that he had started, you know, his conversation by saying, I am a racist and I am in recovery. And Samuel's son said, what that did for me was just create all this open space where he was letting me know that he was aware of his own weaknesses and susceptibilities. And so if he said or did something that I felt was, you know, coming from or a symptom of that disease, he was letting me know that I could say to him, hey, yeah. friend, brother, mm-hmm. when you did this, when you said that, when you reasoned in this way, I, I think it came from, you know, this this sin that's in your life. And and but the more important metaphor that he used that I think you and I both appreciated was this um was reasoning, I mean at the center of his story was the gospel. 
in that he talked about the church in Rome and about how the two factions, which were racial factions in that day of Jews who felt that they were their culture was superior to the Greeks because they had the covenant and they had the historical ethnic connection to Yahweh and the Greeks in that community who felt like um, oh, and the, and the Jews were looking down on the Greeks because they had all this paganistic ritual um, that they were clinging to. And, and the Greek Christians in the community were looking down on the Jews because they felt like they had, you know, this logical, They had Greek philosophy and they had, they had um, a mindset of being free from the law. Right? right. And they were looking down at the Jews because they had all their superstitious, mm-hmm. ritualistic, mm-hmm. you know, and, and um, Paul in the letter to the Romans, which is brilliant, you know, talks a lot in in the beginning and it looks about, you know, that some of us are weak and some Mm -hmm. of us are strong and Mm -hmm. those who are strong need to bear with the weak. And it looks like he's setting himself up as an apostle, as the arbiter. He's going to decide once and for all whose culture is strong and whose culture is weak and who gets to be on top in this community. And what he does a la Jesus is this, right, he, he does this radically subversive move and says, actually, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So you're all weak, and the only strength that is possible comes from Jesus Christ. And you know, he just says both of your cultures are deeply flawed, and your cultures need to be redeemed. And you have to find new life and identity in Jesus Christ, and a culture of mutual submission and enemy love. And that is the ethic of the gospel that is so compelling. And is the only place that I find my help. So I, and, and I've written pieces too, where I just think it's really helpful. I mean, again, as a white Christian, it's really helpful for me to understand that racism is a sin. And so mm-hmm. if somebody calls me on my racism, what they're basically saying to me is, hey, you're a sinner. And that is an identity that I have had to get comfortable with a long, long time ago. Like if I don't believe that I'm a sinner, then there's no grace of in the cross for me, period. Like I can't argue about, I have to be open to hearing that because I know I'm a sinner. Well, and I think part of the problem that people have with both sin and racism is that I think most people think of them only in personal terms. Mm -hmm. My sin, my racism, and not in larger structural or spiritual terms that, you know, Paul also not only addresses sin as that thing that you do, mm-hmm. but also he talks about the power powers of sin. and principalities yes. and that our war is not with people. It's yes. with the powers and principalities mm-hmm. of spiritual wickedness. And I think... And so I can, I can be influenced by those things, mm-hmm. right? And so I've, I've got to recognize that. Mm-hmm. And well, it's the same with racism. And it's funny because this weekend we were on our retreat, um, a women's retreat, uh, and, and we were talking about... Um, a lot of things, but one thing we were talking about was the story of um, um, Jonathan. Uh, we were talking about Nathan and David, and Nathan confronting David on his sin. And as a context of that, we were talking about, you know, what 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 was David's sin, and so the you know the story of David's rape of Bathsheba, and really you know naming it, naming the truth of it in that way, and naming that for generations. The church has taught that Bathsheba was the was not the victim, but the perpetrator, yeah, and that David was innocent, yeah. and that she, you know, and to really say, no, 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 the story is harder, is so much harder than that. The story yeah. is that David raped her, and God 
decided to stay in relationship with him, right? The story is like Nathan comes and Nathan calls him out on his sin. And and David, you know, convicts himself. Like he says, yes, I am accountable to the covenant. I am a sinner. I do deserve death. And God, in a place that I don't even want to touch, says, well, the baby will not survive. But But what is the hardest thing about it and to sit in a group of women who I love and who I want to love more and who I call friend and want to grow in friendship and know that, you know, there are women sitting in that room who have been victims of rape and sexual assault. And to say that, that, that God stayed in relationship with David, I mean, that is offense. That is, that is a grace that is, that is just a hard grace when you're sitting in a room with a bunch of people who have lived their lives as Bathsheba, right? But God doesn't destroy his enemies. God redeems them. And that is the heart of who God is. And I can understand that people don't want to worship that God. I mean, I like, I get it because... Well, I think the only way to do it is to be able to identify as both Bathsheba and, and as David. David. You right. have to be able to see yourself as both. Or it's not good news. Yeah. It's not good news if you're oppressed because and God I says, I'm giving you a oppressor. Of grace. Yeah. And I need, um, I, I'm also victim. I'm, I'm also both. The, the one who has been wronged. Which is why, you know, I find, and I learned this from um, Korean theology, actually, the, the concept of Han that you know, that God, the vulnerability and suffering of God are so important to our understanding of who Jesus is, because if Jesus didn't suffer with the innocent, Mm. then when he forgives the perpetrators, he's just discounting the pain and the humanity of their victims, right? So Jesus has to become an enemy, a victim. And and propping up the same world system of power and injustice. Mm -hmm. So anyway, Samuel Sun wrote this article that I personally found to be um, brave and revelatory. And I thought was, I mean, A, mostly I just thought he's being vulnerable. And confessing. And confessing. It's a testimony, right? Yes. Um, and I did. And I will confess. And, and part of the backlash was against this. I mean, I will confess that. As a white person, I felt like this will be helpful for some white people to be able to read this and say, "This I can claim my racism without then like damning myself to the outer circles of hell where there's wailing of gnashing of mm-hmm, teeth and I can never mm-hmm. be redeemed and included in this community again, right? So I, I mean, I, I did feel like it was a helpful model to be able to say like, hey, sin is pervasive and it has its grips in all of us. And it's important that we, all of us, can say that we are racist. Um, you know, Avenue Q, everybody's a little bit racist. And I, and I honestly, like, I felt like it would be helpful for some white people to say, wow, if this Korean-American person of color can name his racism, then how much more probably do I have this power and principality in me that I need to be brave enough to look at it and confess it and wrestle with how it might be controlling me and leading, um, you know, and causing me to work contrary to the gospel of reconciliation and the gospel of self-emptying love. Um, it reminds so. me a bit, you know, 
um, the Apostle Paul calls himself the chief of sinners. You want to go, wait, wait, what? Right, right, right. And we want to say like, oh, that's just a metaphor. Like you're Mm -hmm. not really the chief of sinners, Apostle Paul. I'm like, no, dude murdered people. Yeah. Like he murdered people. So for him to call himself the chief of sinners is not rhetoric. It's not a metaphor to anyone who lost their child, their parent, their brother or sister, the fact that Paul becomes an apostle of the gospel, the very gospel yes. that they were killed but for believing in. What, what he doesn't do is say, well, look at all the good I'm doing now. Correct. And so that outweighs Ways. my past. Right. It's not what he does. He says, I am a sinner, but it is the grace of Jesus that right. rescued me. And I am and so not a good I person. so now I do good. Yes. So I don't have to prop up this idea that I'm a good person. And part of the the uh, complexity, the trouble, the hard thing about talking about race and ethnicity is that to say racist in many people's minds is to say, unredeemable, terrible, horrible person to the core, instead of, yes, I have participated in sin, uh, and there's the grace of Jesus to overcome, to forgive, to change not only my own heart, but um, this world system as well. Well, and also just to be able to confess and say, you know, there's a reason that in worship every week we prostrate ourselves before God and acknowledge our sinfulness because I'm never, as much as I don't want to be a racist, Mm -hmm. as much as I want to be an ally, I also just have to acknowledge that I am also weak and I also fail. And it matters. And just saying that doesn't, you know, knowing a thing and doing a thing are not the same, right? But I also just like, I don't have any self-illusion that I'm ever going to get to a point where like, this no longer applies to me, or I'm no longer in danger of hurting and wounding my brothers, my sisters, like that, that's real. And so I don't deserve God's love. I don't deserve God's love. I get it as an overflow of God's abundant graciousness and goodness, not not because of anything in my life, even if the dominant culture would look at my life and say, well, that's admirable or that's remarkable. It doesn't matter. Like I, So anyway, this is Samuel's article. And I thought Samuel's article was good. I thought it was great. But honestly, like we wouldn't be talking about it except that... Um, Holy cow. There was a... Not there was a huge backlash against this article um, by some leaders within the Presbyterian Church USA, and I do not personally know any of the people who wrote a public statement condemning. I mean, I don't know. I mean, they. I think they would say condemning the article. For me, just reading it, it felt like a con- I mean, because the article was so personal and such a testimony, and he was saying, this is my experience and my self-understanding, con- condemning the article read to me as a condemnation of of him. And it was, I mean, and, and I mean, it was of, of people are allowed to be angry. People are allowed to be angry. And so I don't mean to say it, there just was a lot of passion in the response. Okay, so for once, for change, <laughs> <laughs> for a change, um, I, I I think you're you're being super gracious 
I'm overly gracious. No, and I'm being a super no. careful because I well, don't want people to call me racist, right? So okay, I'm just going to put so, that out there. All right. Well, then I will say, I I, I, I thought the backlash against uh, Samuel Sun's article was um, was self-righteous. Uh, I think it was, um, you know, we, we have to decide as a denomination if we are going to simply be left-leaning activists or um, people who proclaim the gospel. Yeah, I mean, I'm supposed to say, uh, I'm not, uh, I'm not comfortable calling it self righteous because am. I'm a white person. Oh well, <laughs> I'm just gonna put that out there. So, like, I, I, uh, as an African American, I just think we have to make room for being in relationships with people f- with all of their flaws, which include. Racism. I mean, I wouldn't. <laughs> I wouldn't have a lot of friends if I expected all of my white friends never to say or do anything that was ethnically, racially offensive or questionable. I mean, that just. And I'm not saying anything no, no, no. About I mean, fair I enough. Mean, like I, right? yeah. So you 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 can't expect. Um, it's like unless you are, um, in, unless you walk in a certain perfection or, or a certain level on this issue, it's like my only choice is to reject and condemn you. And well, I just I, thought the backlash was harsh and narrow. And, well, I think for me, like I, I try to um, listen to a lot of voices of um, thought thought leaders um, in the African-American community and people of color. I, I want to hear people discuss white supremacy, and I, I want to hear what people of color want white people to know, right? And so when I listen to, you know, when I read something on The Root or when I, you know, follow Ali Henney or, you know, I, um, I, I just, there are times when um, these, citizens and American leaders say things that um, are, are very hard for me as a white person to as, as a white person to hear and as a white citizen and you know you your instinct is to to defend yourself or to mm-hmm. and I just and I feel like it's really important like I just need to listen right I just need to listen and I understand that and and it's hard when you are bearing witness to someone's righteous anger um, that just just to listen and to say you okay. know i just have to own the fact mm-hmm. that you know these unarmed black boys were killed mm-hmm. by white officers mm-hmm. and i am white and i and and people should be angry and this is just a violation of everything that this country stands for and mm-hmm. i just need to hear that pain and it is fair for people of color to be to be angry even to hate white americans for creating and propping up the system that's literally killing innocent people. I mean, that's fair. And mm-hmm. and I, so I don't, I don't, I don't have anything to say. Like, and I just feel like the most healing thing I can do is to listen and to just to listen. The challenge for me here is, is normally both Samuel's article and the response to it were written by um, leaders and people of color with, within our denomination. And again, like I just, I don't want to mute those voices. I don't want to argue with voices about people's experiences. Like that's not a right thing to do. Except that I do feel like there's a key theological gospel issue at stake in the rejection of Samuel's yes. letter. And yes. so that's when I feel like I can't 
be silent about that because it's not just one American citizen, not just, but it's not one American system, citizen talking to another American citizen about democracy or whether or not democracy is power possible or it's whether or not believers. America can ever live up to its promises. Like that, you know, painful, but listen, but th- we're talking about the body of Christ. Yeah. And what we're really talking about is Samuel's argument fundamentally was based on the gospel and the counter argument was, was not, right. um, was based on American history, all of which is true, was based on a policy paper defining racism that was passed by the denomination, which is true. But the fundamental concept, I think, as I read Samuel's article, was he was saying, I am a sinner, and I am both victim and perpetrator, and I participate in the web of sin in this country, and I want to own it so that I have mutuality and accountability within the body of Christ, both to be rebuked and to admonish my brothers and sisters. And because ultimately, I believe that redemption is possible. And I feel like the response to that said, you, you, your self-understanding is wrong and it's unfaithful and literally said, you know, you have, you have damaged the work of healing for generations and we'll be cleaning up the mess of this. You're welcome. I mean, like, so A, I just am like, well, first of all, I don't believe that we are doing any kind of redemptive work in the world. I believe that Jesus says. And so I don't think that anybody's words, right, wrong, or indifferent can undo I mean, the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, like that's where my hope is, not in any denominational policy work. Um, And I just feel like, you know, people, I don't know, it it just was a really hard, terrifying thing to read the level of, um, not that people would disagree with them, but just that they felt like he... Well, in that he didn't have a right to speak that because I feel like so. So, what are you against the the idea that people are sinners and that sinners can be redeemed? I mean, white people are sinners, but I mean, can white people be redeemed inside the context of the Christian community? And again, if you're talking about America and democracy, I feel like fair game if people want to say. You know, no, we the the melting pot was a lie, and it won't work. And we need equity and separate. And this, you know, this it's not possible. I mean, that makes me super sad. But I can't say that's an unreasonable mm-hmm. position to have um, at, at all. But when we're talking about the body of Christ, like, can there? I don't know. It just was really well because if you don't go there, if you can't say um, there is redemption for a racist past, then you're muting the power of the cross. Well, and honestly, to be really vulnerable and self-referential, I feel like, well, gosh, if Samuel's son, as a Korean man, hmm. can't say that, then, then, I, I mean, as a white woman, how would I ever dare to talk about racism or my racism or like and it's interesting because in her response one thing that she said was and and, she, and this is a group response so her name was just the first name but i you know she said um we've all internalized white supremacy and so we all have a right to speak about racism and i want to be like well i mean is that is that true for me and and i get it like Nobody needs to modify their truth to accommodate my white fragility. I I understand that it's okay for me to be uncomfortable in a situation. And I understand that I don't need to be the dominant voice in in this discussion. But I mean, ultimately, 
I believe that there needs to be real mutuality and interdependence in the body of Christ in a way that doesn't pretend that sin isn't real, but also makes the bold claim that there is something even more powerful and ultimate, and that's the grace that gives us the love of Jesus Christ and new life in Jesus Christ. And I believe that that ultimately will dismantle those structures, not reinforce them. So you're saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds like you're saying that the the, the first best place of struggle is within the church, that the church has, um, by the word and the spirit, the resources to untangle many of these knots and to become and display beloved community to the rest of the country in such a way that um, uh, those in power uh, and everyday folk can see the church and say, ah, that's how we ought to be doing it. That's how we all see how they love each other. Right. I mean, I I believe that Jesus Christ is the hope of the world yes. and, and is the saving of the world. And so I... I believe that we create an alternative community where there's so much love and new life and transformation that it's not that... people say, I want that. Correct. And and that we say, whoever you are, whatever your past is, there is a way that you can be redeemed and welcomed in to newness of life. And and if that's not possible, then why would anybody ever want to give up? So then it requires, it requires us to do what Samuel's son did, which is confess, hey, I participate and benefit from this sinful thing called racism. Well, I mean, I think one of the points that I think is well taken by the folks who wrote a response to Samuel's letter is, is look, um, there's a difference between prejudice and racism. And I agree. And they were saying that, you know, racism is prejudice plus power. And that in, in very, so people of color cannot be racist in the same way that white people can be racist because people of color are disenfranchised in this country um, and still are. No matter how wealthy you are, no matter how powerful you are at work, if you are walking down the street in black skin at night, a, you can be killed by a cop and that cop will never will get a paid vacation. Like that will happen. So institutions, established institutions see us in different ways. Correct. And and that way and that's real. I mean that has real world consequences yes. whether or not it's it's obviously not yes. ontologically mm-hmm. true. So um but I do but think But those same folks they would just have a really hard time with the New Testament, right? Because Jesus Paul the church they're not trying to change Rome. Correct. I mean, that's the thing. Jesus loved and forgave his enemies. And that's what he did. And he did not create a new empire. But told the truth. Told the truth, called them out. I mean, there's a reason he ended up on the cross, right? I mean, obviously what he was doing was threatening to the power structures or else they never would have bothered crucifying him, right? So it's not, I love you, so everything you do is fine, or... Or the alternative, what you're, this evil you're participating in is, defines you irredeemably, right? I mean, I think fundamentally the issue is, are people more than the very worst things they've ever done or that they believe? Like, do we believe that or not? I believe that people are more than the worst things about them, even if the worst things about them are like 
objectively horrible. Yeah. Like I, you know, that's what is offensive. That's why the gospel is a stumbling block and always will be. Is because if you commit to the gospel, then you're saying, I believe that God is calling me to a practice of enemy love. Yes. That I will lay down my life for the sake of my enemies and not because they deserve it and not because what they've done isn't that bad, but because I am following in the model of Jesus and I believe that they need to be rescued. And I, and I trust God to do that. Correct. I trust God to do the rescuing. And one of the things I do is I put racism in the, in the larger narrative of scripture. Mm-hmm. So you get a good God creating a good creation mm-hmm. and giving this creation freedom mm-hmm. and it goes horribly wrong because of the decision human beings make to rebel against God mm-hmm. and the, the fallout from that part of the fallout is a great uh, brokenness and death and sin and, and, and all of that but God makes a promise one day someone will be born to fix this and so you, then you get the narrative of Israel, and we're constantly asking, you know, is Moses the one? Is Noah the one? And, um, and, and throughout Israel's history, God keeps, I want to call them hints, but they're more than hints. God says very clearly, I'm going to bring through this one family mm-hmm. of, you know, through Abraham's family, I'm going to bring the whole world together. And, and part of the, the modeling is to say Abram's family, they were not superheroes. They were not moral superheroes. Like no. all of these people are messed up. Yes. They are not innocent victims and they're not evil perpetrators. They're both. They're, they're both. both. Yes. And that, and I think, you know, for so often we read the Bible and we don't know how to read it. And so we try to smooth over or mm-hmm. skip over all of those really uncomfortable, ugly revelatory aspects of the story to make it seem reasonable that God chose these people when the whole point is God saying, it's not reasonable that I chose these people. These people are not worthy of being chosen. There was nothing remarkable about them except that they were humans made in my image and they imperfectly participated in what I was doing and mm. redeeming the world. And I, you know, well, what drives me, one of the things that drives me, probably maybe even the primary thing that drives me is that vision and revelation where you have, you know, people of all tribes, languages, um, around the throne and they're, they're worshiping Jesus. It's because I know that that day is coming, mm-hmm. that is coming. Then I can work in the present for justice, fighting structures, fighting mm-hmm. systems, but I can also then absorb some things. Mm-hmm. I can absorb um, people, um, uh, you know, in, in our denomination, maybe even in the local church, who say things that um, are are ethnically offensive. And, and I have to discern by the Spirit, when do I address things? When do I just absorb those things? Mm-hmm. And I, I think... Uh, in, in one of the responses says the, the work is simply fighting for justice. I was like, no, the work is larger than that. Uh, we're, we're not simply against racism. We're for this yeah. beloved community and we're striving for that. So it means, yes, confession. It means absorbing offense. 
and it means uh, being it means woke an, enough. And to it fight means for admonishing people, right? It yes. means saying, hey, you, you want to be my brother, you want to be my sister, but you're participating in this, you're living yeah. here, you're drawing, you're sending your child to school yeah. here, here's how that affects my child. And if you say that you're my brother, if you say that you're my sister and you do these things, it doesn't seem like that's true. So yeah. so which is it, right? Yeah. So I mean, again, like what I appreciated about Samuel's article is he was just saying, if we have a false understanding of who we are, then when someone it loves us enough to tell us the truth and gives us an invitation to really live more fully into who we're called to be in Christ. But if we think we're already there, then we then we can't receive that admonishment. But if we know we're sinners, then as painful as it is to hear from someone, you know, hey, this this thing that's really important to you to to be part of a multi ethnic community or to not like. Sorry, you you really messed up here. You really set it all back. And I just, you know, and I would have to say, like, gosh, like, that just makes me feel so ashamed and guilty. And yet, it's not a surprise to discover that I'm human and I'm broken. And I just have to be willing to be humble enough to say, yep, that's me. And I, you know, so I, and I do think, you know, what we talk about this a lot is that it's just easy to be against things and we have to do the harder work of you know imagining what we're for and just there are not very many people you know in that in that conversation in that game and so to denounce what is evil and wrong is is important but it but it's just the very beginning there has to be something i think beyond what is wrong and there has to be a path for full redemption and participation for for all God's people. Um anyway, so we we had a long conversation about the article and about the response to the article. And I'm grateful for both. I, I mean I am grateful for both. Um I'm not there yet. <laughs> well I mean again like if I think that it was wrong to tell to imply that Samuel shouldn't have spoken his truth then it would be equally wrong for me to say that I don't think that those who were, were responding against him shouldn't speak their truth. But I do think at the end of the day, you know, I I, I have to I have to pick pick a pick a place, and so I, I I'm picking my place, and that I I think we have to be communities where people can be vulnerable and make confessions and yeah. see solidarity with you know, with others and with sinners and with their enemies. We have to be that community, well, I, I think. I still think the response was self-righteous and void of the gospel. Well, I am glad to be your friend and to not... I, I'm not comfortable going. Of course, there, I'm not on Facebook, so I, you know, I have no. to worry about <laughs> okay, it. Anyway. I know all of it. You all can come towards me, um, and I will say, just not for nothing, but in stopping, I get that one of the dangerous things is there's a community of white people and a common refrain um, in in certain like far right or even not so far right political um, spaces talking about how all the racism in this country now is against white people, right? So there are a lot of white people who are being indoctrinated into the idea that white people are the only people who are discriminated against this nation now, that white men are under attack. That, And so I, I do really want to just acknowledge that obviously that is not true <laughs> and that it's really destructive. And so I 
I, I can understand that that's just sort of part of the context within which people are reading Samuel's article and are worried that pe- that people, that white people who have a self-understanding of themselves as a racial minority and as themselves as a disempowered, disenfranchised, persecuted racial minority, and those people are out there, and those people are in the church, you know, that I, I can understand their fear that his article might be twisted to support that. But I also just have to say, like, I mean... Well, and the point is, his article has to be twisted In to order to do that. that. Right. That's not what he said. It has to be twisted. And the reality is, like, we can't... We, we can't edit our speech or our truth because we know that someone else might hear it in a certain way and twist it. I mean, that's not different than the rabbi saying, like, well... It's, it's a sin to do X on the Sabbath, so we better also teach that it's a sin to do Y and Z and Q and B so that people don't get anywhere near that. Like there, I mean, there's nuance in the world, I think, and in the gospel, and, it, and it's hard to wrestle with these ideas, and they can be blasphemed and misappropriated, and that's just, I mean, I just think that's inevitable. So we, we part of... I think the struggle is creating spaces of relationships where we can have the you know we can have conversations um, and people feel safe saying what they really think, knowing that if I'm wrong, my brothers and sisters will love me and speak to me respectfully and tell me why they think what I'm doing is problematic. Instead of being afraid that if I speak my truth, my brothers and sisters are just going to tell me, well, yes. your words have undone the justice work for generations to come. And now I'm good. I mean, you know, that I, I, I mean, and the whole the whole response to his letter ended ended, you know, with an invitation to dialogue and, and with a, you know, a sign off that says, you know, submitted with respect. And I mean, that's just hard to square with the tone in the actual mm-hmm. letter. And I just think sometimes like we, I don't know, again, I'm not, I'm not comfortable policing the words of any person of color who's a leader in our denomination, but I will say for myself, sometimes I have to be really careful about saying, can I challenge that? Sure. <laughs> I, I, I just really want to challenge that because I think, um, if you, st- I, I, First of all, let me just affirm um, your stand that says, I'm going to be in a posture of listening and I'm not going to run away or get defensive when I hear hard things. Great. But I would also want to say to you and people like you who are seeking to be allies in the battle against racism and white supremacy, that if you are coming from a gospel point of view, then there will be people of color in leadership who will be wrong because what they're saying is outside of the gospel. And I think at that point, you cannot be so timid about being called a racist that you don't speak. Um, Because I think that's what, that's part of what being a brother or sister, that's part of what 
being kin means um, that we're able to speak the truth and love to one another. And in my own life, if I'm so, if I'm with people and I feel like I cannot tell them what I really think and feel, we don't have a real relationship. No, I I mean, I hear that. I, I really, I hear that my deference isn't, um, isn't admirable. I mean, it's not like, oh, I'm so loving, I can't stand. I mean, right? I just, I mean, like that's a real weakness. My, in fact, our, our friend Lisa Coons is like, you're the least complicated, broken person I know. You just don't want people to reject you, and and that's true. Like that is what I struggle with all the time. Is that I do not want people to reject me, and so it's really, you know, um, that. That I really struggle with that. Yeah. Um, it's it's hard to have this conversation. It's not hard to have the conversation with you because we have a ten year yeah. friendship yeah. that provides a context wherein, you know, I feel like you know me and you love me and we will have a friendship. You know, I can't undo ten years of friendship, even yeah. if I say something really wrong or even if I misunderstand that. But to get your voice out there farther is just a, it's a harder thing to do and i and i, I know that. that i need to I, but but, but i mean i'm that. saying i hear you you're right it's not faithful to not speak the truth because you want someone to like you that's not faithful and it's not you know and it's not loving and i'm just saying i really struggle with that um because i'm really so i'm sitting with what you say to me <laughs> <laughs> very good um, well, before we go, okay. let's tell people how they can find the article. It's in sure. the Presbyterian Outlook. You can see it online, Presbyterian Outlook. Um, written by Samuel Sun, S-O-N. S-O-N. Yes. Mm-hmm. And the response to this article, I think you can find the response linked right underneath it in the comments. There were some, um, but I think most are on Facebook. Yeah, you, right? you might have to look on Facebook. Um, the the woman who, who wrote the main response, who I, I don't, I don't know her personally, um, but her name is Laura M. Heifetz, um, and her page is public. And so, um, and she has, I mean, a really, uh, I mean, I'm grateful to know what her perspective is and her response. And so I would invite anybody to seek out and read what she has to say and to respectfully, respectfully dialogue um, with her because, because insulting one another is not, honoring Jesus. So, um, that's not so noted. Well, no, I mean, you're not insulting anyone, but but I just want to make it really clear that I, she is my sister. She is my kin. I don't agree with how she read Samuel's article, but I honor her and honor her voice and I don't want it silenced. And so I think it's important that everyone who's just heard us talk, we probably should have at the beginning said, pause this podcast, (laughs) go read these articles and then come listen. Oh, well, live and learn. This has been a very special episode of Two Pastors <laughs> Take a Walk and Make a Podcast. And if you want to find out more about our congregations, you can look up Derida Presbyterian Church on Google, and it will um, bump you over to Derida Pres's website. And if you want to find out more about The Grove, where I serve, you can um, do thegrovecharlotte.org and look at our brand new updated website. Thank you, Rachel Kang. And if you want to hear Yolanda's sermons, and I will tell you all that he said on the walk, and he won't say this now, and he'll be mad at me for saying it, but he, his sermon on Sunday was on fire. So you should go listen to it. It's the Podbeam 
right? Podbean website. Yes, yes. Um, look for Derida Presbyterian Church, and you will find all his sermons. And if you want to hear um, sermons from The Grove, you can go to iTunes and look um, The Grove Charlotte, and you will find our sermons as well. So thanks for listening. Um, we'd love to hear from you. If you'll be nice to us. Okay, bye. <laughs>